Blog Talk Radio. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You've heard about it. You've read about it. You've talked about it. And now you've found it. This is Alan Smith's Ask the Trucker Live on Blog Talk Radio, the largest radio social network in the world. With your hosts, Alan and Donna Smith, focusing on driver health, careers, regulations, and the important issues facing the industry. It's time to shut down that big rig, sit back, and come join the conversation. Ask the Trucker Live begins right now. topics as we can, which will, uh, you know, allow us in these uh, hour and a half, two hours here that we're on. Uh, Tonight we're going to highlight trucker wages, as the show is Truckers Wages, Understanding FMCSA 14-Hour Rule and DOL 16-Hour Wage Law. We're going to try to emphasize how a driver's time is valuable, applying federal law, which are on the books right now, and unpopular to what many will have you believe your time is of value, not just the pieces you produce or the work you produce. And an Arkansas judge confirmed this in October of last year, awarding millions to drivers who were grossly underpaid. So by, by paying drivers for the miles they drive only, drivers have been conditioned to believe that they and their time is not valuable, only the miles that they are able to drive. The problem with that is there's obstacles which interfere with how many miles we as drivers can drive. We all know there's, there's traffic, there's weather, delays, waiting time at the loading docks, and yet that 14-hour clock just keeps on a ticking. And now there's the ELD, which enforces the hours of search laws by the FMCSA. So the bottom line is drivers want more hours to drive, more miles to earn more money. By law, According to HOS, drivers can only drive 11 hours and work 14, then take a 10-hour break before we can drive again. We're limited to a 60- or 70-hour work week. These are FMCSA laws that drivers have to comply by, but they have nothing to do with how we are to be paid. They are there for safety. So how you log your time does not dictate what you should be paid. According to the Department of Labor Hour and Wage Division, this is Title 29, Section 785, a driver is on a 24-hour duty cycle and therefore should be paid at least minimum wage for all 24 hours, less eight hours sleep and bona fide meal breaks. So we're going to also discuss the recent ATA petition to FMCSA, which was granted to them right before Christmas. The petition was to preempt state labor laws specifically stating that the state of California's meal and rest break rules should be preempted by federal law. You've heard us discuss this before. We'll review how this was just the last desperate attempt by ATA to control trucker wages since they lost their four-year denim amendment fight 
which would have created federal law stating that drivers only have to be paid for the miles they drive. In essence, they're really saying your time is not valuable. Just what they can, what just what drivers can produce is valuable. There are and there are two, yeah, two lawsuits now against the FMCSA, the California Labor Commissioner, and the Teamsters. So before we go to a quick break, I'd like to I'd like to thank uh, just a lot of drivers out there for all they are doing to help this industry. And there's there's many individuals who work tirelessly researching. Uh, sharing information and, and just being a part of a positive change and awareness. And there's uh, countless groups on Facebook who are becoming more and more organized and most importantly unified. And although driver unity hasn't been our greatest asset, it does appear it's getting better and we're starting to share the same messages. One of those messages is opposing the ELD mandate. And helping to lead the charge for this is a group called Black Smoke Matters, and they have plans for an April 12th shutdown in order to discuss and bring awareness to many of the issues drivers are facing today. And there's there's many other groups out there fighting the fight, and just because I, I, I didn't name you doesn't mean I don't appreciate it, because I do. But So feel free to call in and brag a little bit about your group and what you're doing if you'd like. And also, there are two bills right now which, if you are against ELDs, you need to be spreading the word. H.R. 5948 and H.R. 5949. And I'd like to thank Joe Barreto for all he's doing to spread the word about the ELD mandate and many other issues that drivers are facing. And uh, I think Joe may be calling in tonight to be a part of the show. We'll see. And uh, Joe, also Joe and John uh, Grossner have a show called Foo Bar Radio, which is also very informative. And we can't forget our friends uh, Taylor Barker and Bill Weaver and their show, the Tay Tay and Wee Wee Show. I love that name, Don. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the Tay Tay and Wee Wee Show. Finally, a, uh, a, I'd like to throw out a huge thank you to Pat Hockaday for his dedication and relentless research he does regarding trucker wages. And Pat, I know Pat's been talking about truckers and the need for a 24-hour pay cycle for for about four years now, and uh, way before the Arkansas court ruling. And uh, I think he might be calling in as well. And his website is truckersunited.com. And for those on Sirius Radio, you probably know him from the trucking radio shows that he calls into. So for anyone else who wants to uh, call in, be a part of the show this evening, call in numbers 347-826. 9170, and then press 1 on your keypad, and I'll be able to see you here on my dashboard to be able to get you in. So, hey, we'll take a quick break and get this ball rolling, so hang with us, and uh, we will be right back. You're listening to Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith on Blog Talk Radio. Don't go anywhere. Alan and Donna will be right back. Hey everybody, Alan Smith here. Have you been driving a big rig for a while now and considering starting your own business as an owner-operator? Well, Lone Mountain Truck Leasing offers the best lease purchase plan in the industry. With a small down payment and monthly payments around $1,000 or less, you make the monthly payment and when the final payment is made, they hand over the title. It really is that simple. 
There is no big balloon payment at the end, and secondly, the truck is yours, not a lease plan under one truck and company. So if becoming an owner-operator is your goal, do it the right way. Do it the best way. Contact Lone Mountain Truck Leasing on the web at LoneMountainTruck.com or give them a call toll-free at 866-512-5685. That's LoneMountainTruck.com. This is Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith. To be a part of the program, call in now at 347-826-9170. Skype users can call in by clicking on the Skype button on our show page. To be a sponsor of the show, email Donna at info at askthetrucker.com. Now, back to the show. FMCSA 14-hour rule and DOL 16-hour wage law. If you uh, if you just tuned in and would like to be a part of the show, like you heard, you can call in at 347-826-9170. Press 1 on your keypad, and I'll see you there. And uh, I, I thought before we got into it, we could just review a bit about trucker wages and why they've gone down since the, since the 70s. So the question here I have is, why are America's 1.8 million truck driver wages worse today than they were in the 70s? And I'm going to refer to a recent article by Business Insider. Uh, truck driver salaries have fallen by as much as 50% since the 1970s. It was an excellent article, and I hope you can get a chance to read it. So to answer that question, why trucker wages are worse today than they were in the 70s, uh, most academics who study this issue point to one law, and that would be the Motor Carrier Act of 1980. And Larry Mitchell, a fellow at the Economic Policy Institute, said this was a conscious decision to make the trucking industry a dog-eat-dog industry. And he also said the prices of trucking got cheaper, but the ability to make a, live, a living evaporated. So, so here's, here's a little history. In, uh, in 1935, the Interstate Commerce Commission, the ICC, became the oversight board for the trucking industry. A law also passed that limited the number of new entrants to the trucking industry. Trucking companies that were already in existence could continue operation, but new carriers found it extremely difficult to get uh, uh, certificates. So, uh, and here's a big difference I noticed. It's, It's called transparency. Back then, companies had to file their rates with the ICC 30 days before they came into effect. And other companies or individual carriers were allowed to see those rates and would often protest the rates if they found them low enough that they would undercut their own business. So the ICC could then suspend those rates as it inspected them. And truckers also had to buy routes, usually from firms that already had the authority to operate on those routes. And even if a trucker had the authority to transport, say, uh, produce from Sacramento to Seattle, he or she might lack the authority to carry anything on the return trip. So the average truck driver during this era was well paid. In 1977, the mean earnings of a, of a, uni, a unionized truck driver 
stood at $96,552 in, in, in today's dollars, and at least 80% of drivers were union at that time. And uh, so then we have President Jimmy Carter. And President Carter passed, uh, in order to save consumers billions of dollars, the Motor Carrier Act of 1980, which removed many of the regulations that the 1935 law had put in place. And it allowed uh, new, new companies to open fairly easy and remove many of the route regulations. And companies also had more control over changing their rates. So the 1980 MCA Motor Carry Act had become truly had become a bipartisan law since conservatives were always on board for less regulations. The Teamsters Union and the American Trucking Association were against the 1980 MCA, but for different reasons. The, the Motor Carry Act of 1980 helped spur the decline of driver wages and working conditions by encouraging uh, an extremely competitive atmosphere and survival dependent on a race to the bottom by cutting wages. So uh, Steve, Steve Biskelly, a University of Pennsylvania sociologist and author of the book Big Rig Trucking and the Decline of the American Dream, described the trucking industry as being ruled by destructive competition, competition so severe that it undermines profitability to the point that it causes underinvestment by firms industry-wide uh, inefficiency, market instability, and poor service quality. So Biscelli said deregulation worked. He said it made things cheaper, no doubt about it. So in the case of driver wages, trucking companies were forced to begin slashing payrolls in order to keep up with new industry entrants and a highly competitive market. So the question is, where are we now? We all know that drivers feel they should be making more, and owner-operators these days need to be they need to be extremely knowledgeable and business savvy in order to do well and be successful in their business. But I'd like to ask everyone listening to do a little math. If you ask a driver how much do you make per hour, you'll get all kinds of answers, I believe, anywhere from $10 an hour to $50 an hour. But here's something I think to think about. According to the Department of Labor, the Wage and Hour Division, in Section 785, a driver is on a 24-hour duty cycle and technically should be paid for 24 hours less eight hours for sleep. And the law says a driver should be paid at least $116 a day or $812 a week. That's minimum. That's what the law says. So based on this, you can calculate what you're really making an hour. You take your... Uh, Take your yearly gross earnings, divide it by the number of days that you are working for the year, and divide by 16, and that's what you'll earn hourly. So now I'm going to let you do the math on that. But first, uh, uh, first I want to make an announcement about the recent FMCSA decision on granting the ATA petition for preempting California's meal and rest break laws, which basically excludes truckers from being paid for their uh optional rest breaks and meal breaks. And this was a big win for the ATA, who has been fighting for this and the Denim Amendment, which they failed to pass into a major legislation, even though they vowed to the members that they would get it through. But um, 
I tell you what, I'm going to I'm going to let Donna share the update on this because since we read last night that the California Labor Commission has taken the FMCSA to court over their granting of this ATA petition, she's been chomping at the bit, and I can see you chomping over there right now, <laughs> Donna. So I know. So I'm going to be quiet for a while and let you take it. Okay, well, good evening, everyone. It's so great to be here, and I'm glad Alan's hosting the show tonight. <laughs> Gives me a break. And uh, anyway, we're going to have an up. The update is um, the FMCSA is being uh, pretty much sued by um, two people now: the Teamsters and the um, uh, California uh, Labor Commission. And um, anyway, they filed a petition on Wednesday. Uh, with the Court of Appeals, and the federal agency is uh, responsible for regulating and providing safety, that's the FMCC, of commercial motor vehicles, and they're trying to undermine California's meal and rest break rules. So um, anyway, the FMCSA has been taken to court over their granting of the ATA's position, and as many already are aware, the FMCSA granted this petition to preempt um, state labor laws which protect employees, including drivers. So um, this was um, specific for California, this petition. And, you know, you say California and everybody, you know, gets all up in arms about California. And, you know, they have a lot of things that uh, are kind of aggravating, but actually this their labor laws are actually one thing that are that are good and that they've created to protect their um, employees out there, and they've included drivers as part of that protection. So basically, in a nutshell, what this petition um, was about was that the carriers wanted to be um, drivers to be exempt from having to uh, for them to have to pay for their ten minute breaks and their unpaid meal breaks. Um they they just didn't want to have to have to do that. And there's there's three things wrong with this. <clears throat> First of all, I find it amazing that the FMCSA granted this petition in less than 3 months. Uh, this in itself is just unbelievable as as it usually takes about 5 months, a year, maybe longer to have, you know, these petitions granted. It was put out the end of September and it was granted um December 21st. So, and number 2, what's ridiculous about it is they put this same petition in in 2008 and it was rejected. The FMCSA rejected the ATA in 2008, same exact petition. And 3, um this was just a last desperate attempt to control driver wages, and it was hidden behind a smokescreen of meal and rest breaks. Um, the ATA lost their denim amendment battle in Congress, which everyone knows. I mean, that was like a big, huge deal. Uh, so they went to their buddies there at the FMCSA to help to help them out, and and they did. So before we dis- the, discuss the actual preemption of the states. Um, granted to the ATA. Here's just a little background about the Denim Amendment, which really, it's all connected, um, which failed at their multiple attempts and what led to this petition to the FMCSA by the ATA. So anyway, basically the Denim Amendment. So 
the ATA lobbied Congress for years to include a provision into major bills which would um, override state labor laws claiming federal law supersedes state laws. And uh, the Denham Amendment was um, introduced by Jeff Denham, um, Republican out of California. And by the way, he was defeated um, in the last election. But anyway, the Denham Amendment claimed that the true intent of Congress in the 1994 F4A was to be able to preempt state laws such as California and other states um, who had similar labor laws which protect employees and um, they allow for optional paid rest breaks, non-paid optional meal breaks, but most of all enforce that drivers must be paid for all time, including detention time. So Denim was written in such a way that if it passed, um, it, it would result in a revised federal law, which would have um, relieved carriers from the obligation of having to pay drivers for anything other than their piecework wages or, or the miles they drive. So um, they first introduced it in 215 in the FAST Act. It failed. They continued to reintroduce the Denim Amendment in five other pieces of legislation. It failed, including the latest um, FAA reauthorization bill. And at that point, you know, that must have been, like, horrifying because, I mean, they were absolutely sure um, that it was going to pass. I remember, um, Alan, do you remember um, Bill Schuster over at the Transportation Committee, you know, saying, this has to pass. So he's not even there anymore. Yeah. Um, I, Peter DeFazio is the um, chairman now, and, and he's very pro-trucker. But anyway, uh, the ATA lost um, – the Denim Amendment to Congress. So now they went back to the DOT 10 years later, and um, the ATA even admits it was out of desperation in so many words. Um, This is a quote. We we were forced to ask the DOT and the secretary for this important common-sense solution because congressional dysfunction and gridlock prevented Congress from reasserting itself uh, as the primary arbiter of interstate commerce, despite bipartisan, bicameral support. And that was the ATA president, CEO Chris Spears said in a um, December 21st statement after the FMCSA announced its decision. So um, then he goes on to say, you know, we hope the ruling will once and for all underscore the importance of a single national standard for work and safety for professional drivers. So anyway, I just want to, right? I mean, this is all about safety, right? Not allowing drivers uh, to be paid a 10-minute optional uh, meal break. And we'll get into the scare tactics they use in a minute. But um, anyway... So here's the um, the first. And yeah, I think I'll go back to 2008. I have I have it written here why it was rejected. So in 2008, you know, FMC announces. Um, uh, oh, let me just get it here. Okay, here here's the introduction in 2008. Petition um, ATA petitioned. Um, Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration on behalf of the group of motor carriers to preempt the California statutes and rules 
requiring transportation industry employers to give their employers meal and rest breaks during the workday. Um, okay, so here's the reply in 2008 from the FMCSA. FMCSA announces the rejection of a petition for preemption of California laws and regulations requiring employers to provide employees with meal and rest breaks. The petition does not satisfy the threshold requirement for preemption under 49 U.S.C. 31141C because the provisions at issue are not laws and regulations on commercial motor vehicle safety, but rather laws and regulations apply generally to California employee, uh, yeah, California employees. And this was issued December 18th, David H. Hugel, Deputy Administrator. It goes on, you know, it's lengthy, and here's just an excerpt. FMCSA cannot entertain this petition because the California meal and rest break rules are not regulations on commercial motor vehicle safety. The, ag- the agency has no authority to preempt them. Okay, so now let's go back, go 10 years fast forward, okay? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so here, so nothing. Okay, so FMCSA requests comments on a petition submitted by the American Trucking Association requesting a determination that the state of California's meal and rest break rules are preempted by federal law. Among other things, FMCSA uh, requests the comments, blah, 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 and that's Ray Martinez. So here, here's their response. Ten years later, after saying FMCSA has no authority, doesn't affect safety, they're just labor laws. Now here's the 2018 response, okay. less than three months. FMCSA grants the petition submitted by the American Trucking Association and Specialized Carriers and Rigging Association requesting a determination that the state of California's meal and rest break rules are preempted under 49 U.S.C. 31141 as applied to property-carrying commercial motor vehicle drivers covered by the FMCSA's Hour of Service Regulations. Federal law provides for preemption of state laws on CMV safety that are additional to uh, or additional to or more stringent than federal regulations if they have no safety benefit or incompatible with federal regulations or would cause an unreasonable burden on interstate commerce. Total opposite of 2008, okay? Um, Well, anyway, I mean, I could read the rest of it, but, you know, it it makes me want to gag. Anyway, it was um, December 21st, 2018, signed Ray Martinez, administrator. So... um, you know, it, it's just amazing. The the petition was actually a, a direct attack on the safety and wages of, of drivers. And, you know, they muddled, muddied the waters with this, you know, uh, make it look like it's California meal and rest breaks. And really it's just an extension of the um, Denim Amendment. And it's really about preempting state labor laws, which protect Employees and and here's just a few facts. Um, the ATA used the meal and rest break as a scare tactic during their um, 
during both during the petition and during their their uh, fight for the Denim Amendment. And um, they told drivers that they'd have to stop every few hours and find parking and all this. And actually, it was just a, it's optional. People can take these breaks. The only thing that the carriers didn't like, they had to pay them for the 10 minutes, whether they took the break or not. And that's really what it was all about. And um, the ATA knew that drivers depended on their miles. So lying to them and telling them, oh, you're going to have to stop. You know how much time you're going to lose? And, uh, you know, it it was just horrible. I mean, you could see them lying right on C-SPAN when Jeff Denham got up there and spewed all that. And um, thank God Peter DeFazio uh, called him on it and pretty much told him he was lying. So anyway, um, the real threat is, see, California labor laws are a threat to the um, driver wage design. And that's a design that the carriers find most profitable because it's because California enforces pay for all time worked. In other words, if you're sitting at a dock for 10 hours, they're going to make the carrier pay you, um, I believe it's their minimum wage, and I don't know what their minimum wage is, $11 or whatever an hour. But they, they, they they make them pay. And um, a denim amendment would have gotten rid of all that. And, you know, ATA just relishes in the fact that drivers are only paid the miles they drive. And I'm glad we're having this show tonight because um, it really is showing how um, the courts are exploring or, you know, ruling on a uh, a new rule, I mean, it's not a new rule, it's an old rule in the Department um, of Labor in their wage and hour, which Alan will talk about later. But um, they say your time is valuable, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But anyway, so ATA wants to pay drivers miles only, control how many miles they get, pay them 1980s wages, and don't pay them for any detention time or any other thing. So that's what they want. California is a threat to that because they believe that um, drivers should be paid their optional rest breaks. And um, they should be paid for all time. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, you know, make no mistake that this petition was a huge win for them. And it's just a first step in their mind because in their mind it will open the door to preempting all state laws, including laws that require carriers to pay drivers for all-time working. And it's it's just, you know, the fact that we've got now the Teamsters and uh, the California Labor Commission taking them to court is really – you know, just a huge win. So um, uh, I was really excited, um, you know, when I saw that. And, you know, I go running in and telling Alan, hey, guess what, you know. And so he, he <laughs> told me, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll be doing this tonight. So I'm really glad to share all this. I hope, uh, you know, I explained it well and you understand, you know, how important this is that this gets overridden. Right now, going on right now, uh, the agency uh, isn't really being honored. Uh, there are court cases going on now, and they're trying to claim 
the federal agencies well the FMCSA says it's on uh unlawful you know we don't have to it's we're we're preempted from all all that and the courts are saying well you know that's not law that's we're not honoring that so it it's really not um People are still going to have to pay it now, as far as I see, because if they take the chance and don't, they could lose in court. And one thing I do want to mention, that if this ever goes to the U.S. Supreme Court, which it may, um, because there's um, more conservative-leaning judges, they don't like federal agency law. They, you know, they're more for, um, you know, the court law and they may not honor just like this recent case didn't honor the FMCSA um petition that the uh, that was granted to the ATA so it, it it's it's kind of up in the air but um i i think you know i think really the the court of appeals in California will probably override it but it it just shows the colors of um the FMCSA really disappointed that that they they passed this that they granted this petition and anyway so that's my uh, my little piece tonight, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is interesting because nothing then changed uh, when they denied it, and now suddenly, like you said, like within a three months time. Oh, okay, we'll 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 do it. But Ten years later, yeah. all of a sudden, everything's different. Yep. It meets the criteria. Ten years ago, nope, doesn't meet the criteria. So whatever. Yeah, I still think uh, uh, ATA has a big, big battle ahead of them that I'd be almost willing to bet they're not going to, they're not going to win. So it, it takes us to uh, where we're at now: the minimum wage and the 16-hour rule. How did, how did, how did we get this? And we'll be taking some callers in a sec. According. So how did we get here? According to the U.S. Department of Labor, they say any work which an employee is required to perform while traveling must, of course, be counted as hours work. This is Title 29, Part 785 of the Code of Federal Regulations, U.S. Department of Labor Wage and Hour Division. So what's that mean? It means all over-the-road drivers must be paid for their time. A, uh, a trucker's piece worker wages must equal at least federal minimum wage based upon a 24-hour cycle. Subtracted is a uh, eight-hour break for the opportunity to sleep. So that leaves you with a 16-hour day at at least federal minimum wage. So that means 725 times 16, $116 a day is the minimum all over-the-road drivers are should should make. $116 a day. Minimum. Minimum. That's minimum. What's that work out to be? Eight twelve a week? Is yeah. Uh-huh. So $812 a week. This is what the, uh, the DOL is saying. $812 a week minimum. So this opens the door for paying truckers for all time in the truck, excluding the eight-hour sleep and bona fide meal breaks. And these are meal breaks uh, not paid and driver has no work responsibilities. So how did we get here? Here's a case that here's a case that started it all. October 2018 in a class action lawsuit in federal court against Pam Transport. And you know, anybody's been in trucking for a while, we know they're Arkansas-based company. 
but the court ruled against PAM Transport for alleged violations of the Fair Labor Standards Act, and, which is a federal law that requires employers to pay truck drivers at least minimum wage. So the district court judge in Arkansas reaffirmed that truck drivers need to be paid for every hour they spend in their trucks while they're not sleeping. And here's the thing, America's 1.8 million long-haul truck drivers spend weeks away from home, sleeping, eating, working in the trucks. Truckers are usually paid per mile no matter how many hours they spend on the road. So like we said in, uh, in my opening, a trucker's time is valuable. And now the courts agree. They say, yes, that time is valuable and they need to be paid for it. The U.S. District Judge... Uh, Timothy Brooks, he's the one in Arkansas, right, Don? Yep. He said that PAM Transport violated federal labor laws when they didn't pay their truck driver employees at least minimum wage for every non-sleeping hour spent in their truck. So the court decided that the time a driver spends waiting in his truck in the sleeper berth still constitutes work, even though the driver may log that time as off-duty. That was Judge Timothy Brooks, and he wrote in his October 19th memorandum on the PAM case, he said this. He said, there is no ambi uh, ambiguity. Ambiguity. Ambi <laughs> I hate that word. Okay, there is no ambiguity here then as to whether an employer must count as hours work the time that employee spends riding in a commercial truck while neither sleeping nor eating. Time thus spent is working, and any work performed while traveling must be counted as hours work. This came straight from the judge. And so this, this was a, a profound court decision. The court determined that over-the-road drivers, an employee who is required to be on duty for 24 hours or more, has to be, must be paid at least minimum wage for their time spent in the truck, and that works out to be a minimum of $812 a week. So, big win, Donna. Oh, that well, that just seemed to, to shake everybody up because, you know, it, it looked like at first, what? What are they talking about? Right. And the funny thing is, um, Pat had been talking about 785 last year, mm -hmm. and um, he had found it, and we were discussing it, and uh, I guess because nobody ever ruled on it, Alan, we didn't really, you know, pay much attention to it. And, you know, he kept talking about it. I think, is he on the line tonight? Yep. Yeah. He's right there. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take his call. So, I mean, if, if you look at the Department of Labor, the company driver wages, Department of Labor, this, this, is, this, this will make you laugh. This will make most truck drivers laugh. The Department of Labor has truck drivers average yearly as 42000 a year. So according to that calculation I gave you earlier, that states that truckers earn $21 an hour. So, I mean, that's pretty good wages, Donna, $21 an hour. Well, they're basing it on what, though? But they're basing that on a 40-hour work week. So... What driver really works a forty-hour week, right? Yeah, if if you use the calculation you you gave them in the beginning, that um, uh, what was it? The gross earnings divided by yeah, your yearly gross your yearly gross earnings is divided by the number of days you work for that year divided by sixteen. Right. If you would have used that instead of the just dividing it by forty um, forty hours a week, 
it comes to more like what eight something an hour. Yeah. So if if you use their calculation based on that, uh, and I guess they're I don't know how many days a year, maybe three hundred they're using or yeah. Uh, so if so, based on their own cal- calculation, it, drivers really earn eight dollars and seventy five cents an hour. Okay, not the 21 that they have no, up on the no. uh, and the funny thing is it's like two contradicting things. So, um right. anyway, so Okay. All right. Hey, let me take a real quick break here. We'll get this breaks in from friends over at our Zyper and then I will get to your calls. I see Pat there. I see Tennessee area code 901. So, hang with us. We'll be right back. And let me tell you about Zyper here. Hold on just a second. We'll be right back. Every time I find something, every time I see something that I think is is, is a, just a really good thing, really good for drivers that can help drivers uh, make more money, make their lives easier, you know, whatever the case is be, we, you know, I, I think I've had a pretty good record of uh, uh, sharing those things with everybody that has proven to always be always be pretty much right on and uh, there's something there's something I came across and I I've been watching it for a long time dealing with them talking and I want to I want to share that with you owner operators specifically I, I want to tell you about a, a new way to find good paying loads or I should say a new way for those good paying loads to find you and it, it's called Zyper and uh, it's it's spelled X Y double P E R Zyper so so what is Zyper? I really like this thing. I want I want to get this out to everyone. Zyper combines a massive load board with a virtual dispatch system. And and owner operators, we we all know the feeling of too often being frustrated, waiting at a truck stop for loads, or accepting cheap freight just not to drive back empty. But you really don't have to. There's a Zyper app, and it's not just a load board. It's a virtual dispatch system which finds you custom loads and send them directly to your phone. And after you download and set up the Zyper app, shippers will know your exact location, your route, your destination, your equipment, and available capacity, and they will send you an available load matching your criteria, the cr- criteria that you set in. So you can accept it or you cannot accept it. It's totally up to you. And Zyper, it intuitively knows when you are available. Zyper notifies you instantaneously directly to your phone and you can even maximize each route with multiple loads. So drivers, I, I want to invite you to take the Zyper challenge. Think about it. Would it be great to not have to always search for new loads but instead be notified directly and immediately when custom loads designed for you are available? And not only that, would it be even better if you had all the paperwork done for you? Zyper actually sends loads offers to the drivers, automatically generating documents such as order confirmation, bill of lading, signature capture, proof of delivery, and invoices the shipper immediately after shipment is made. And in in addition to all this, Zyper offers the ability for shippers to track their shipment live while in transit. And these are the same duties a dispatcher would offer, except Zyper performs all of this in a virtual system and it's only uh, $25 a month. And so go ahead, lock in at the $25 a month. You know, there's similar apps out there with less features that are going for 10 times that price, $25 a month or $250 a month. It's pretty much a, no, a no-brainer. Lock it in at $25 a month. Go ahead and take the Zyper Challenge, 
and you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Right now, there's a free trial available. So go to Zyper.com, that's, that's X-Y-T-P-E-R.com, and it's definitely a win-win for any owner-operator trying to maximize profits. Another thing I like to try to pass on, and uh, just trust me on this, check it out, and I know you will uh, be glad you did. All right, back. Yeah, check out Zypher app. I think you're going to like it here. So, Donna, let's go to the phones. You ready over there? I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> we'll have, uh, I think, Pat, Pat's up first here, and then we'll get to uh, some of the other ones. I see Tennessee there, 901. But, hey, Pat, how are you doing? Thanks for holding. Oh, hi, good evening. <clears throat> how are you? I'm doing great. Um I want to back up a minute, please, and, and try and clear some confusion. An yeah. employee over-the-road truck driver operating a truck in California is an employee in the state of California. Okay, a, a, a truck is a commercial vehicle. It is a place of business. So if that truck is in California state, the operator of the truck, the driver, is an employee – you know, if he's an employee driver, that is, you know, a company driver, he is an employee in the state of California. When that truck crosses the state line into Arizona, he is now an employee in the state of Arizona. So every state law applies to the driver depending upon what state they're in. And, and I'm talking about employee drivers here. Let's be, you know, very specific about that. Labor laws protect the employees. Okay. Right. It, um, th- these laws don't really affect the uh, one truck owner operator. I mean, they. I mean, who are they going to, um, you know, sue exactly. themselves if they aren't offered that's a ten right. minute break? I mean, that that's kind of ridiculous. Like, anyway, you can't injure so. yourself. Exactly. Right. So. Um, so yeah. I'll, denim. Denim. You know, uh, step up to there. It was uh, presented as being about meal and rest breaks. Actually, and we didn't learn this until we figured out the 16-hour rule, actually Denim would shut down California. Uh, how do I say it? California does not allow for wage blending or wage averaging. An employee is to be paid for every hour worked in the state of California, period. That money in every other state, they allow for wage averaging, okay? So if mm-hmm. I make uh, 100 and – I've got the numbers written down here. If I make $160, if I can find – let's just slap these together real quick. If I make $160, 40 cents a mile, 400 miles – that and you subtract one hundred and sixteen dollars from that, that leaves a credit of forty four dollars that can be applied to the following day. That can be applied to time I, that I spend at the loading dock, for example. Okay, you can yeah. average as long as at the end of the week, at the end of the week, you take the total gross pay and you divide it by one hundred and twelve hours. That gives you an average pay of. Whatever, as long as that is greater than, and we're using federal minimum wage here, you know, the employee's been legally paid. There are 29 states that have a, a prevailing wage higher than federal. 
So we can really get complicated if we want to involve all these states, but we're going to keep it simple, okay? Well, the the case with um, uh, Arkansas, the one with that Judge Timothy Brooks, I mean, they're going to apply, I don't know what Arkansas minimum wage is, but they're going to apply from what I understand, right, Alan? They're going to apply the minimum wage of, of Arkansas? Of that, of that yes. Yeah. Okay, so they're going beyond the um, seven twenty-five. Correct. Over there, nine fifty an hour, that would I believe. Oh well, that's going to be then almost. what well, I'd have to do the math, but um, that would be more like over nine hundred a week. They'd have to make minimum wage, and that's minimum wage. Uh, you know, so I mean, there's drivers out there. You know, uh, they're they're not new drivers. I mean, th- this was a case. With, um, I believe they were new drivers in this case. I'm not sure. I'd have to read back at it. You can Google it and find it. Um, you know, Pam Transport. You know, Judge Brooks mm. or something like that, and 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 it'll come up. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and and it, it's so funny because, um, you know, Alan, we were talking about you know people think um, when most people. The question arises, well, what do you make an hour? You know, they they come up, like you said in the beginning, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. I mean, how do you really know what, what you make an hour? And that's why that formula is so good. But they'll look at the um, hours of service. Well, I worked 70 hours, and I made this much, so they'll divide that into it. And, you know, it looks like they're making a lot more, right? I mean, right. I, yes. I think I got ahead of I was ahead of my time at the time because it was uh, years ago. It might have been 10 years or more. And I was trying to find it. I wrote an article and I was touching real close on this same same deal and I talked about they really need to look at the t- at 24 hours because that's how long they're out. And I looked for the article but it was so long ago I couldn't find it. And it kind of by the wayside, you know, I guess it's kind of a... It uh, seemed outrageous, probably. It was, it was ahead, of, ahead of the time, I think, but but now, 10, 12 years later, after I wrote the thing, now this is exactly where we're at. And, right. But I think if you ask, especially if you ask a lot of new drivers, hey, how much you work an hour, how much you make an hour, uh, most of them probably wouldn't even be tell you that, tell you that, well, divide by 70 hours or whatever, or they would look at the gross pay and a lot of them, a lot of them don't even know how many days they were out during the year. So basically, it's a deer in the headlights look. You know, hey, how much, how much do you average an hour? And I think most of them, especially the new ones, aren't even going to be able to tell you. Well, well, uh, you know, and and you know, and I'm talking to both of you now. Um, as far as the uh, hours of service rule, I mean, that's a regulation. A safety thing. I mean, that's about how many hours you're allowed to drive. The FMCSA doesn't dictate wages. It's 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 a totally different thing, right? I mean, well, FMCSA is about safety. The Department of Labor is about wages. Right. So um, here, I mean, my whole argument. My yeah. whole argument would be. The FMCSRs, Federal Motor Carrier Safety Regulations, 
prescribe the job duties that must be performed and the time frames in which they may be performed, okay? Mm -hmm. We are Mm -hmm. required by our employers to not work for 10 hours, okay? Right. If we work during that 10 hours, we have endangered our employers because if we're in an accident, and somebody dies, our employer is going to get sued for millions of dollars. It is in the best interest of the carrier that we not work during that 10-hour period. Now, let's go to an everyday job. Donna works for me. Hey, Donna, I need you to go sit over there until I find something for you to do. And two hours later, I come back, and I say, okay, here's something for you to do. Can I not pay you for that two hours? You're on the job. You followed my directions. I need to pay you. What about a warehouse? Okay. They pay a forklift driver to be there. If he has to wait two hours for the truck to show up so he can unload it, he gets paid for waiting two hours. Okay. It's just that we have a much longer 10 hour period we have to wait, which, by the way, per the 16 hour rule, Two hours of the 10-hour break is paid for. It's compensable. Okay, only eight hours is non-compensable. So there you go. Because of wage averaging, every driver is getting paid for detention time. Now, are they being paid legally? Obviously not. We just had PAM lawsuit and Western Express lawsuit. Um, where the drivers did not even make $816 a week. Right. This is unheard right. of. Well, and, and you know, you know, so many, if you read the responses on Facebook, they're like, well, I make more than that. The point is that it's not, we're not saying that that's all you should make. There's the minimum. The minimum, right, that you should make. And, uh, you know, it, it's hard. I guess, I guess it's the concept is hard. I, I mean, it, it seems pretty logical, but after you've been conditioned, I guess, for so long to believe that you're only worth what you can produce, the idea of being on a 24-hour duty cycle uh, and and to be you know, um, worthy of payment for your time and your sacrifice and all that is is just unheard of. I, I personally think, and tell me if I'm wrong, both of you, that it's a conditioning that has gone on. It's a conditioning that's gone on for decades. I mean, tell me, tell me how many, and you know, think of the newcomers that come in this industry. <laughs> How many companies have you sat down that you're thinking about going to work for, and they tell you, well, well, we can guarantee the minimum you're going to make is 800 a week. The minimum is 800 a week. Well, you know, that's not bad, but that's not reality. Donna, you know very well I've, I've driven for, I drove for, I won't say the name of the company, but I drove for a company. I was out for like three weeks, and then I get my check, and it's $350. Do you remember that? Yeah, well, yeah, well, you'd quit, but, you know, that was after that we sold the business. Or was it before the no, business? No, that wasn't. No, that was when I was OTR. 
Oh, I know the company. You know the company is right out of, uh, was it out of Tampa somewhere? But, yeah, for three weeks, three weeks I was out, and then we, I get my check, and it's $350. <laughs> after, after they, then after I remember, I remember them saying how well they pay their drivers and this and that, and, and, and it was unbelievable. It, it was just unbelievable. And that still goes on now, especially with the newcomers coming in making 14 cents a mile, and you know they're told, oh, you're going to make you're going to make this good money. It's going to be great. And and I think that's where the conditioning comes from. This this has been going on for decades, and now that this this is all coming about, and they're saying, hey, minimum 812 a week. It, it's almost. I don't. I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I don't understand why is it so hard to understand. I don't know. What What do you think, Pat? I think a lot of drivers say, "Oh, you got to pay your dues." Well, I agree. Uh, a novice driver does have a lot to learn, and he's going to pay his dues. But that doesn't mean that he is not supposed to be paid per the legal standard. Okay. Seven twenty five an hour is the federal minimum wage. Right. But there was What's no way to 24, calculate. 20, a 24-hour day times seven twenty five an hour is $174 a day. Is that too much for being on the job 24-7 away from home? No. Think about it. I mean, drivers are saying online, I saw one driver say, we should be making at least $300 a day. Well, you know, I mean. Yeah, yeah. for everything that they go through and the, the time that they're away, but this is how the industry has been suppressed and everything for decades. And as you put it, Donna, they've been uh, uh, conditioned to it. Let me get, uh, uh, Pat, still hang on there. Let me get the Area 901 Tennessee in here. Who we have here? Hey, it's Jerry Fritz. Hi, Jerry. Hey, Jerry, you're on here too with Pat and us and everything. We'll just we'll just keep the ball okay. rolling. What, what do you What do you think here? By By the way, so the listening audience knows what you're talking about wages and stuff. I've been doing this since 1966. Uh, 1982, under the Teamster National Master Freight Agreement, which was nationwide, we covered 87 percent of the regulated manufactured goods, quote unquote, the average line haul driver was making 48,000 a year. I made 52. And oh, that included loading time, unloading time, strict 70 hours a day, slept at the motel, all that kind of stuff. So here we go. It was basically the way the LTL carriers work today. And they were common mm-hmm. carriers, and we moved a majority of the truckload freight. I used to go to work in a, in a starch blue shirt and tie and a gabardine uniform in the old Eisenhower jackets. Probably half the drivers appeared that way. I'd like to point something out. The other morning at Laramie, we were all snowed in there. And uh, I even saw it myself. I didn't realize myself. You ask most drivers out here, and earlier in the discussion, we were saying 70 hours and eight days. No. Another one that they put over on us, and the driver seemed to feel like they benefited from it, was a 34-hour restart. Now, most of the people listening right now are going to get on their hind eggs and want to scratch my eyes out. But listen to me. 
That's not true. And even I hadn't really calculated it a lot. Here we go. We're sitting in the counter. It's okay, gentlemen. We start our week at Saturday midnight the way we used to in the old days. <clears throat> and you work. Today we work 11 and 10, 11 and 10, 11 and 10. So in that cycle, you'll have burned up about 66 hours by Thursday noon. Now, remember this, Thursday noon. Uh There was a time due to the eight-day week, you couldn't run again until about Sunday night, midnight. So you had the rest of Thursday at home, Friday, Saturday, and some of Sunday, but you had to go to bed, okay? Then I knew something was Mm -hmm. wrong. So here we go. They wanted to argue with an old guy, an old uh, Jevic driver even, older than I am. He really wanted to argue it until I showed it to him. He said, my God, I didn't think about that. So here we are. We're all going to agree from Saturday night midnight to about Thursday noon, we have now used about 70 hours. I says, how many of you, me included, at 10 o'clock Friday night, our 34 is up? Are you going to turn down a load? Well, well, no, as you're going to run another 11 hours. And you're going to finish up sometime about 11 o'clock Saturday morning. 7 o'clock Saturday night, you're going to be back on the road again. So a driver, in just his driving time, actually works somewhere around 92 hours every eight days. Now, I'm going to I'll swallow that, keep that in there. In fact, Michael Belzer, who may have been a guest here, he's been above, he showed at Wayne State University and did a formal study. I was on air with him that day. He's, our study shows that at the 90 percentile level, the drivers, they're working 96 hours a week. So I says, well, Michael, what about the 90 percent up? He's got to be over 100. So when you start talking about the 42,000 a year, let's take and divide that by 5,000 hours. But now, wait a minute. Now I'm going to go further into this. This is how ridiculous it is. This will explain driver health, why we kill so many jobs. Remember, none of these are my numbers. 1999, the American Trucking Association and the Truckload Carriers Association commissioned Martin Lab and Associates to do a study of the delay dock time in the business. Now, they polled the drivers, not management, the drivers. What they found in that study was that reefer drivers were about 43 hours a week at the dock, drive in 34 and a half. So they rounded it off to 40. They cannot deny this. Go back and pull transport topics, heavy-duty trucking, overdrive, landline magazines for the next year or two. All they talked about was the 40 hours a week they're tying our drivers up at the docks. It really hasn't changed. So now we got to go back and take the 92 hours that you can legally be at the wheel. We just proved it. Now, what about the 40 hours back in my old union days that I got paid for loading and unloading, and it did come off of my 70? People say, well, how do you get any miles? We didn't. The city drivers picked up and delivered the freight and got paid for it. Us road drivers ran the 70 hours. See, that could happen today. 
There's not one of these yep. truckload carriers that couldn't hire city drivers and pay them. So here we go. So how many hours a week, approximately, is a driver really on the job? 92 plus 40. Those numbers cannot be disputed because the American Trucking Association, the TCA, splashed that 40-hour-a-week detention problem all over the press for at least two years. They cannot deny it. They have to own it. There was a time it was on duty not driving because we got paid for it. So a truck driver does not work 70 hours in eight days. He works at least 92 hours in eight days and somewhere up to around 40 hours waiting for loading and unloading. Now, take that 140-hour work week. There are 245 eight-day weeks in a year. Take that 140 hours a week times uh, 45 weeks, then divide it out. Well, the, it, if you go back to the opening um, when Alan was talking about um, the Motor Carrier Act and deregulation, um, it mm-hmm. talked about how the drivers were paid back in the 70s. And I'm assuming that's where you're going back to, right, the 70s? Actually, the 60s. And it was okay. before me, even my dad was in. But we up until... Really, up until yeah, the Motor Carrier Safety Act is, or whatever they call it, is what really. Act, yeah. And Lana Bates, yeah, Lana Bates, by the way, who used, she might have been the original president of the TCA, Charcoal Carriers Association. I know Lana. In fact, we used to be on the opposite sides. She's talking a whole lot different now. She was on Mark Willis here a while back, and she says the Motor Carriers Act in 1980 was designed to break the Teamsters, and it did do that. But when you broke the Teamsters, I don't care whether you like them or not. I only got halfway along with them. I got beat out of half my pension, by the way. So why would I say anything good? Because it was the truth. They set the standard. I can remember sitting at the old truck stop at Brookville, Pennsylvania, before the new building was built. And in those days, the private carriers used to watch real close to when the Teamsters got their new contract. I was sitting there in my blue shirt and tie that night, a big furniture outfit up in Wisconsin. He comes in, sits next to me. He's in the same kind of uniform. This is the way it was. He said, hey, what did you guys get in your new contract? Because that set the standard. The private carriers and even overnight, which is non-union, they used to keep their wages very close to union wages, just like FedEx does now, just like Cy does now just like the non-union LTL carriers who only have an 8% turnover. They keep their driver wages, benefits, and working conditions very close to the union standard. First of all, to keep the union out. But they benefit greatly from the threat of the union. Guess what you got in truckload? Nothing. You have no threat. You're working 140 hours a week. If you're spending that many hours a week at the dock, like I say, let me do it here. I got got my calculator here. Let's see what it really is. 140 hours times 45.6 weeks because it's an eight-day week times 140 equals 6,384 hours a week, triple or more than the average worker, right? 
So we're going to Wait take 6,300 hours a week? 6,384 hours a year. A year. Okay. A year. Okay. <laughs> okay. So take the 40, yeah, all right. 42,000. Uh, yeah, I got 4222. So divided by 6384 equals 66 cents an hour. And by the way, those numbers, everything I just put out there cannot be disputed. It's fourth grade arithmetic. The study on the doc time and everything, it can't be that. And, and all that. Well, what do you valid. have to say, have, uh, Pat? Um, I wanted to make another comparison, if you don't mind. Back in uh, 1980, from all the drivers I've talked to, um, the mileage rate, okay, um, your least purchase drivers now are getting paid a mileage rate, okay, of say 90 cents to a dollar ten a mile plus fuel surcharge. But the mileage rate back in 1980 was anywhere from 65 cents a mile upwards of 80 cents a mile. That alone shows you how far we've gone forward. We haven't done anything. 80 cents a mile to a dollar a mile. We, we, we've increased by 20 cents a mile over, what, 39 years? Yeah. Hey, Pat. I mean, that's hey, Pat, ridiculous. I got yes, those sir. numbers. Pat, I earned, and I took a cut in pay because the rule of thumb at the old Rider Ranger and the old uh, Special Commodities Division back then it was a dollar a mile. So I tried her 80 cent a mile loaded and empty plus fuel surcharge. Now, do this. Oh, no, by the way, I gave you a number wrong before. It would be 6.57 an hour now. So here we go. We take the 80 cents a mile. I have copies of those invoices at home. And I took a pay cut, by the way. Freight got slow. So I'll be guaranteed miles better. So here we go. Run it through the CPI. Donna, go on the computer there and look at CPI inflation calculator. So 1984, you go to 1984, 80 cents a mile. Now, it's, everything's plus fuel surcharge, so let's take that off the table, right? So 80 cents a mile in 1984 would be like $1.88 a mile today to have the same spending value. And they're paying these people more than before. That's, that's kind I ran of those numbers once before. And uh, 80 cents in 1980 would come out to, if I remember right, about $2.13 yeah, a mile today. Or no, even more. 65 cents a mile in 1980 would come out to about $1.88, $1.85, something like that. So uh, Jerry's right I, there. I, His numbers are right on. Yeah. I'm talking 1984. And, oh, no, I, mean, I was Let's using 1980 numbers, yeah. Yeah. All right, 1984. Now let's do this. 1984, I paid $64,572 and something cents to buy a brand new cab over Freightliner. To do the same job today, in 2015, I paid $145,000 for a Cascadia. I only buy fleet trucks. I don't buy owner-operator trucks. So now... You're paying almost a hundred thousand dollars. Well, wait, wait a minute. Let's get exact. So that would be uh, forty eighty-five. Now you're paying ninety thousand dollars 
to purchase the same truck to earn 10 cents a mile more than the industry in 84. And remember, I can give you documents and invoices on all of this. I did it. Well, Jerry once shared with me a pay stub, I believe, of his father, 1977, yeah. I believe. 78. Uh, 78. Yeah, that, good enough. Um, what, 24.57339 cents per mile. And the hourly rate was something like $9.60 a mile, which, by the way, was three times that, about three times of what minimum wage was. Um, that would, that would now be times minimum wage would be nine sixty back then, something like that. To have the same purchasing power today that twenty three four two five cents a mile was in nineteen seventy eight, you would again run it through the inflation calculator, just go point two four, get close, nineteen seventy eight, and bring it up today, and it should be about ninety cents a mile driver pay. Right. In the right. nine twelve an hour, the nine twelve an hour that we get paid for all of our non driving time, fuel the truck, breakdown time, chain time, loading time, unloading time, accident delay time, everything that was not driving was paid by the hour. That was nine twelve an hour, I believe. That would now be about thirty seven dollars an hour. And oh by the way, you know what UPS drivers make? In their new contract, it'll be anywhere from 91 to 96 cents a mile and over $40 an hour. There's still a remnant. Th those guys really didn't gain anything. All the cussed union, if you want to use that term, all the cussed union did for them was to keep them parallel. Well, I'm, what yeah, I'm, to the I'm rest looking of at – I'm looking – hold on. Where did I – there's people still on Facebook that, here it is, that are still not getting this, um, this idea of being paid on a 24-hour duty cycle of, of a minimum of 8-12 a week. I mean, here's a, a, a comment. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Um, need to quit screwing with trucking. I, I get paid good now. You're ruining a good thing and all this. And the next one is, that's a low wage. I make a hell of a lot more than that in a week. And you have to keep explaining to them, this is to protect mostly new drivers who are coming in, you know, sometimes making three, four, five hundred $500 a week. And I guess they're interpreting it to meaning that the law is stating now that they only you know, are going to be making eight, twelve. I don't know. I don't know why it's so difficult to understand it, or unless they just aren't reading it. You know, they're just looking like at a headline or something. I I don't understand it. It it isn't that difficult to figure out that it's a protection for drivers. And if you're making eight, twelve a week, great. Then you're making minimum wage. And if you're making Twelve hundred a week, then what? What? What, what would twelve hundred a week be um, on an average? Six, sixty thousand dollars, about sixty thousand. Um, 
Okay, so how many Five games? Hours, well, I'm trying to you find use my that formula, here. Alan, that you that you put in the beginning of the show. So that would be your gross it's annual here, here, divided by right divided by how many days? See, that's the thing. Each each driver okay. has a different well, amount of days. Exactly. So if we use a three hundred 300-day average. That's pretty realistic, okay? Yeah, that's realistic. So $64,000 yeah. $64, um, amounts to $64,000 is sixteen twenty-nine an hour per the 16-hour rule. Uh, $64,000 would be eight eighty-five per a 24-hour pay period. Hey, you still make $64,000 a year, uh, you yeah. know? The, the the best thing about going with a 24-hour rule is it eliminates a lot of the confusing overlap of regulation. Here's my example. I'm told to be at the loading dock at 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm there. Dock guy comes out. He says, hey, uh, assembly line broke down last night. We cannot load you till 8 o'clock tonight. You're going to have to wait 12 hours. 12 hours wait time is compensable. Now, during that 12-hour period, I take my 10-hour break so that once I get loaded, I can work all night, make my delivery at 8 o'clock the following morning, okay? So I have now worked a 24-hour compensable day, all right? Legally, I should be paid for a 24-hour compensable day. The 16-hour rule goes out the window now because I had 24 compensable hours that day. This is mm-hmm. where we have problems with overlap of regulation. If we look at the well, that was safety regulations, we say, mm-hmm. oh, well, I don't get paid for my 10-hour break. No, you get paid for your 10-hour break because... You are doing a job duty that is compensable. A compensable job duty cannot be offset by a non-compensable action. Okay, and this is what a bona fide meal break means. A bona fide meal break is not eating a sandwich while you're driving down the road. The mandatory 30-minute break is not a meal break. It is not a bona fide meal break. It could be used as such, but if I'm at the loading dock waiting, I'm on the clock, okay? A bona fide meal break, I've got to be able to clock out, go away, eat my lunch, come back, clock in. I can't well, basically do that what, when what I'm he, waiting. What Alan said in the beginning, that you have to be relieved of all responsibility. Yeah. Right, Alan? To perform or, work. Yeah. You you can't be doing jobs and having a bona fide meal break and multitasking and and all that kind of stuff. Um I was let's gonna, look at um, a time let's look at a let's look at a time proven system. I know I like what Pat's thinking this, that and the other. Oh well before we before you go on. That work, wait, wait before yeah, you Pat, um Jerry before you go on, let me just say because a lot of people jump on and they don't know you have to press one. If you're if you're listening right now and you want to be a part of the show, click one on your keypad. If you're listening through the internet and you want to be a part of the show, you have to dial in 347-826-9170 and then click one on your keypad. 
So I just have to say that because people jump on at different times um, mm-hmm. during the mm-hmm. two hours, and I just want to make sure. Okay, go ahead. What I, what I was going to say before, any number of ways looking at this salary is a way maybe Chuck Lode will go to. But let's go back to the LTL. Not, well, they weren't LTL. They were common carriers. We haul mostly truckload freight. LTL was garbage. We want to use the LTL to fill out the trailer. Go over there and look at the LTL carriers. Not a pound of general dry freight. Now, what Pat does and, and uh, Michael does, that's specialized. Okay, general freight. You know, they're paid so much a mile and paid so much an hour. Uh, they run through a terminal network. They're home every day or every other day. And, oh, by the way, that system produces an 8% turnover. And according to the lady that's the CEO of ABF, they have a 4% turnover, most of which is retirement. That works. You've got all the, the electronic devices now to track your miles, to track your hours, this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, in the old days, I knew a lot of drivers. They claimed it took them three hours to load. It took them a half hour to load, and they went and hit out and stole two and a half hours. That can't happen anymore. This is so easy. It is easy. You don't even have to get into what is this meal break and that meal break. Pay them the 90 cents a mile that we need to have to get to that 8% turnover. Pay them $37 an hour for any non-driving work they do. Set up a network of terminals where they get home at least every three or four days, and 90% of this problem will go away. I'm trying to keep up on uh, Facebook. What's your belief, Jerry, that that's going to happen? Well, here's how it's going to happen, really. Uh, There's a certain irony going on here. You asked the question, so I'm going to give you an answer, my opinion. Back right at deregulation, sure, there is no way the union people at 32 and a quarter cents a mile and 13.15 an hour can compete against Snyder, Werner, Hunt, Crete, and all these at 10 cents a mile, period. The handwriting was on the wall. So, yeah, the employers then had to give the freight to the what's now the truckload carriers, their contract carriers. In. So, yeah, we lost it to them. But watch this. In fact, there's an article in one of the magazines, as you tell Michael, what has happened now because of deplorable, archaic, medieval, anti-human working conditions and pay system of the truckload industry, they can no longer get enough drivers. Even the pool is drying up. Right here in Idaho, a big truck driver training school that was set up to do 40 students in a community college closed because it got down to four people want to drive a truck. So here we go. I'm going out six to eight years now, maybe ten. It'll take a while. The truckload concept has peaked out. It was an experiment. Even Atlanta Bates said prior to deregulation, we did not have a distinction of truckload and LTL. There was no distinction. The common carriers did it all. You call them LTL carriers. So here's what happens. Because the truckload carriers have poisoned their own labor pool. See, they forgot. Everybody they fired, everybody that they tricked, everybody they cheated did not turn to dust or vaporize when they quit trucking. They went back home and shared their really lousy experiences 
with the other blue-collar community. Right. So now there, no one in the blue-collar community wants to do the job anymore. Now, right. who are the only employers that can hire the quality drivers and retain them? The LTL, common carrier system. So mm-hmm. eventually, and this did happen. I just read an article in the last two weeks. They're analyzing what happened last summer. They, there was plenty of evidence last summer because the truckload carriers could no longer provide service to the shippers. The shippers were having to go to LTL carriers to get the truckload moved. So now watch what happens. The evolution now takes place. The truckload carrier's ability to, to keep up with demand, keep up with demand, will now begin to get less and less and less. The shipper has to move his freight. He may not want to pay that LTL rate or that truckload rate. That's a that's a uh, a set rate, but he has to move his freight. But watch the cute little thing that the LTL carriers have now discovered, and I'm I'm in on it. So the LTL carriers really don't want the truckload freight gumming up their highly mechanized operations, highly scientific. Truckload doesn't fit. Old Dominion now has broker authority. YRC's brokering loads. I haul a lot of ABF truckload now, XPO. So what's happening now, the truckload carriers cannot keep up with demand because they can't keep drivers. We know why that's happened. So now the shipper is now calling the LTL carriers. Well, the LTL carriers are now beginning to broker out their truckload freight to us independents, real independents. And, oh, by the way, there isn't an ABF load out. There isn't a C.H. Robinson load, TQL load, uh, Schneider load, Hunt load that pays what ABF and Old Dominion pays to move their truckload freight on my truck. So six to eight years down here, what we now call the LTL carriers will become the dominant transportation provider force in the industry because the truckload carriers, have, they're sinking themselves. It won't happen overnight. They've killed the driver job, and nobody wants to do it anymore. And not only that, but a shipper will say, well, I'm not going to pay a truckload carrier the same money I'm going to pay an LTL carrier. That would be like, like paying a, a, a general practitioner to do surgery. I'll pay the surgeon that kind of money, but I'm not going to pay a general. This is what's happening. And it's in there. I just read the article within the last week. There are plenty of evidence that that the, I don't know, I'm always reading on something, but you know me well enough, (laughs) believe it, that the the truckload overflow was beginning to gum up the LTL systems. Now, I, I, I haven't got a YRC yet, but I've got Old Dominion, I've hauled the first... Me and ABF get along real well. I don't haul ABF's LTL freight. I haul ABF's truckload freight. Now, why is Nestle paying more for ABF? And I know this for a fact because there's trouble on a load, and I know it for a fact. I got my money. Why is Nestle willing to pay ABF? And, oh, by the way, when the problem came up, the lady said to me, ABF doesn't haul freight for nothing. We contracted for 43,500 pounds. If they've got 45,000 pounds on you, they will take it off. We don't haul freight for nothing. And by the way, Nestle's took it off. Truckload carriers hide their head under the covers and do it anyway. So it's all beginning to crumble now. The cracks are opening, 
And you watch six to eight years from now, I'll probably be out of it, but the truckload carriers will be the trailing force. Why? They can't get and retain drivers. Hey, I don't want to interrupt you, but I just want to to say this. And, Alan, I know you were going to say it later on, but I'm just going to interject now because uh, I don't want the time to run out. Um, you know the how the ELDs were supposed to, you know, save lives and all this. Well, you know they had that. Um, uh, let's see, from Northeastern University and the University of Arkansas, they had a study. And mm-hmm. bottom line is, there's no evidence to suggest that the number of accidents decreased. So, uh, I just wanted to say that after, you know, all the commotion about, you know. And we saw that coming because the ELD did nothing more than just make the uh, driver rush more. Yeah, and, so. and and they're saying, you know, speeding's going up, not highway speeding, rushing like, you know, uh, just rushing around, I guess, the regular roads, um, not, the, not the highway. Did you really, so what's the next? That's the did next you really thing study the... But. Did you really study the numbers on that, Donna? Watch this. I studied it closely. On a week-to-week period, truck load carriers with 1,001 or more trucks were averaging 224 crashes per week. Independents, now I don't know if that means owner-operators, lease companies, but independents were averaging 159 or 169 accidents in the same week. So the big truck load carriers had... 50% more reportable accidents in the same week they did it on a week-to-week basis. Now, here's the funny part. They chastised the independents for speeding and unsafe driving. I was on a show with a guy the other day. It's okay. They had speeding and whatever you call unsafe driving. But their accident numbers did not go up. So the inference there was, well, we need to slow down the independents so that they can't speed anymore. I said, no, wait a minute. Your numbers just show that if the speeding independents or anything like the big fleets, if we slow them down, then we will have 224 accidents a week. Fact of the matter is, it showed that the big fleets had 50% more accidents per week than the owner-operators, and the owner-operators are running faster, and their numbers didn't increase. So what's wrong with this picture? Well, <clears throat> I, I noticed one article tried to make it look like the um, uh, the the mega carriers were having less accidents, and it said, "Well, probably because they're used to ELDs or something like that." But no, what they what they back. what they saw their numbers didn't drop, but their number when they looked at the when they looked at the independents. Their accident frequency, 169 accidents a week. The uh, fleets with 1,001 have stayed at about 224, and theirs didn't come down. But now the big thing is, if you read how they put that in there in the one report, well, we don't know for sure because the owner-operators are speeding. Okay, but our accident rate did not go up, didn't change a bit despite the fact we were driving faster. So what I conclude from that, well, wait a minute. Here's evidence. If you take Jerry Fritz and all the others and slow them down to 62 miles an hour, then we will be like the big truckload fleets. 
But wait a minute. The big truckload fleets have 50% more accidents a week than we do. So why even bother us? Go look at the big fleets if you want to cut your accidents. Hey, Jerry, we you want to show? Yeah, well, it's, it's just crazy. Um, what? I mean, I, I, I don't know. Some... I get a, got another caller here that jumped in. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, go ahead, yeah. Like uh, uh, Iowa, area code 319, welcome to the show. How y'all doing today? This is Michael. Hey, hey Michael. Michael. How you doing? Oh, hey. I've been uh, listening. Yeah. Yeah. And me and Jerry and JoJo, we have long conversations about these issues, and they are right. Uh, I'm Paul Specialized. I delivered in Baltimore Wednesday. And all these loads that I've seen on the load board, because I can find my own load, even the Specialized, you got these cheap carriers come in undercutting the rate to get the loads. I had to wind up dead heading 300 miles to get a load, but I was called by the broker to pick up a load for Caterpillar that paid me $15,000 to come out here to California. All those loads they had, loads 110,000 pounds. That's 12, 13 acts of freight they wanted hauled for $8,000. That's nothing but paying for a driver's fuel. So I don't understand how these people even going to be able to stay in business by undercutting the race like that. I think the shippers should be appalled by them having a race. Well, was it the shipper? In to have a ship. No, it was, was not. It the the shipper was or the a carrier. Broker? It was the carrier. It was the broker. It was the carriers. The carrier broker, like Combine, daily had on a load that weighed 68,000 pounds going 1,400 and some miles to Houston. And how they do, they say, well, we'll pay for your permits. Then they want to give you uh, $3,600 to go all the way to Houston. And I won't even run my truck for that. That's an insult. But like well, Jerry you know, said, this brings up, this brings up um, Alan posted um, the other day, and it caused a huge commotion. It was like, what's affecting, something like that, what's affecting the freight rates? And, you know, some people, and one guy, you know, he, he's so passionate, he's a great guy, but he, he, was, he, he was saying that... Something like who's in charge of the freight rates. Yeah, like yeah, something like yeah. that you posted. Yeah. and Or who sets the freight rates, yeah. uh, the yeah. megas, or something right. like that. Right. And the argument was, no, we owner-operators set the rates, okay? I, and... Um, he even had a video, and he said, no, if we just say no to the cheap freight, we can change all this. And it went back and forth because um, Alan would say, well, you know, that you've got your cheap labor, you've got your lease contracts, or what else, Alan, did you put on that? I can't remember now. Um, the lease purchase, uh, the brokers, uh, undercut it. It was a whole list of things. And right, but this is the problem. The bo- what? The problem is this, this industry is just in a mess. We're going to take a lot more to straighten it out. And I'm hoping, just like Jerry said, that the LT area carriers take over. And, you know, I, I just can't stand ATA. I, I hate what they have done 
to the trucking industry. All of this would have happened to this industry falls on their backs, period. On whose backs? On the ATA's backs. The ATA. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, that's what the point, <coughs> Alan, but that was, I think, the point you were trying to make on that post was, you know, uh, they've just ruined the, the rates by, by you know, the low wages, whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, they, <laughs> we can see it now with everything. I mean, their whole purpose is to keep the wages down, to keep it low, which has been going on for decades. And which keeps the rates down. I mean, right. I mean, there's some good-paying loads out there, and, uh, you know, there's, there's there, good there, brokers. There's, there's drivers who are making really good money in the industry, but it's not always about I, I, me, me. It's supposed to be a brotherhood right. all the way across the but industry. So don't think exactly about just I, I. The what? Hey, Alan, right, Alan. I'd like could, could I get Michael, a, I, I didn't hear what Michael minute. said. Okay. I was saying Alan is right what he's saying, everything, but what's going to need to happen? I already know it'll take a miracle for the ELD to go away. The ELD is here to stay. The problem is if they worked like the LTL cares, got these drivers home, gave these drivers 90 cents a mile like you guys done, across the board, every driver top pay should be in five years should be $142,000 a year. All problems go away, but they are so greedy. These mega carriers have cut the rates so low to get the contracts, they can't afford to pay their drivers. They can't right, afford it. Right, and that, I think that was the point he was making on that post. You know, uh, you know, Pat, the other day we saw the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Pat, and you yes, remember? Okay. It said there's 1.78 million drivers. 860,000 of them are employees. Okay. Now it didn't say how many of those 860,000. It came to 60% are employees, and I guess the rest are owner operators, whether that be um, leased or independent or whatever. But uh, the the point is that that's a a high rate of employment, and if if those drivers now I don't know how much of that Pat was um, was OTR. You know, it, it, Alan, it could well, be. Well, it was like, under. It you was know, under you were, the you were driving hauling fuel, huh? It was under the heavy long distance driver category, right. so I would call that right. OTR. And if we look at it logically, there's what five hundred and sixty thousand authorities. Okay, uh, carriers that have authority. There's only 560,000. So for it to be, let's just call it 1.8 million, let's call it 50%. 900,000 employee drivers, the other 900,000 would have to be a mixture of independents running on their own authority and owner operators slash lease purchase drivers running under the authority of a carrier. The numbers couldn't work any other way. There's only 560,000 uh, authorities granted at this time, you see. So right. When, right. when the employee, okay, lease purchase, 
The only reason the carrier does a lease purchase is because the lease purchase truck has to be less expensive to operate than the company truck. So how are you going to get ahead if you've got to earn less than the company driver, number one? Owner-operator, myself, I'm leased to a carrier. I do not have my own authority. I run under the authority of a carrier. I have to compete against the rate that the lease purchase drivers are hauling for, a dollar a mile, plus fuel surcharge, whatever it may be. And then you've got the independent, like Jerry. He's got to kind of compete against me. So, yeah, the, the owner-operator or the independent does not set the rates. There are multiple factors involved, but if we're looking at the cost of labor, okay, the mega carriers establish the, the, the labor rate. As an as a owner operator or an independent, if I put my money into an hourly rate, we have to ask how much of that say I make twelve dollars an hour. How much of that twelve dollars an hour is my labor and how much of that is my profit off of my asset, the truck? Or how much of that am I making off of labor that I hire. I'm using myself as an example here. Well, well, when I have to hire that... labor, when I have yeah. to hire labor, I get $35 an hour per man per four, for, for a four-hour mini. I don't pay those well, guys $35 an hour. Can I say something well, here the whole for a second? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, what I would like to say is the problem is with, like, JoJo saying, the uh, lease purchase, it's too easy for people to get entry into being an owner-operator, for one thing. A lot of the drivers out here don't understand how to price themselves. They underprice themselves. That's one of the main problems. Now, over this past year, last year, the rates was good. Greedy the mega carriers is, and some small companies, instead of holding what they got while the rates can stay up and make the money, but the first thing they want to do is go add more trucks. So when you add more trucks and they got freight, the prices go down. It makes it hard for all of us. I think it should be some kind of test on what is the knowledge is on being an owner-operator before they even are allowed to get their authority. That well, would do a well, lot of way of helping us out here. Well, Alan, what were you saying that, you know, they, they drag them in when they don't know anything, well, just to have, just like Dominic was. Uh, well, the lease purchase program, that's a moneymaker, so. Uh, I mean. I mean, it, it, the whole lease purchase program from these carriers is, I mean, it's designed to fail. So, uh, you know, what Michael well, saying, I would like, that, I would like to see, I would like to see that lease purchase outlawed, period. I would like to oh, see Oh, I would outlawed. too. I would too. It is outlawed. It is absolutely outlawed. But just like just like the 16-hour rule, drivers are so ignorant of the law, they don't know. They haven't got a clue. These lease well, purchase programs show. are against the law. But until there is injury, a- Dominic Oliveri was injured and filed a lawsuit, it doesn't come out. And how many, because of arbitration... How many cases have been settled without any of us knowing? How many misclassification cases well, that's all that didn't end go now. to court were settled behind the court behind the car, well, we the, had, the uh, curtains? 
Right. Well, that's all going to end now. I mean, yeah. Ellen, yeah. we had that show with Dominic, and yeah. uh, he uh, he 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 took it all the way to the Supreme Court, and they exempt all transportation drivers from forced arbitration. So. Out the window if, if we can get the word out to enough drivers to know that. Yeah, and and now he can go to court with his lawsuit because uh, I mean it was a really great show. I, I, you can listen to the replay. Um, I don't know what was it a couple of weeks ago maybe. Yeah. So hey Donna, uh, what I wanted to say was did y'all read the Overdrive article about the the lawyer uh, is trying to get the two check system back in the play. Like like uh, Jerry and JoJo was talking about, we were talking about a couple of shows ago. The two that's check that's, system, the, empo- that's, that's the, the only way. Yeah, that's the employee-owner-operator. Yeah. Yes, sir. That'll, that, like, that'll I, help I, out I, everything a lot. I'd like to throw something out here. Alan started at the beginning of the show. Sure. There's a Wall Street investment firm. They had an analyst look at this. In print again, I don't always write down what I read, but it was in print. I found it very interesting from an academic point of view. Just like you said, deregulation wanted to just throw us to the dogs. Well, he did the study. He concluded this is almost a quote. There is no American business more fractured than trucking. And the reason it is so fractured, because of too easy entry. Just what Michael's is too easy to get in. Well, that's well, how you going to do that. He was, how you gonna well, do that's that? what what yeah. what the problem was. the The goal for the um, Motor uh, Carrier Act was to um, deregulate to bring consumer prices down. But in the meantime, it it brought the wages down. It allowed everybody and their brother in the industry. I mean, I remember when um, let's see, we we bought our trucking company. Uh, it was household goods, and it was great. Uh, we had a ball. It was wonderful. But um, anyway, I mean, Alan, you just applied for your authority, and um, I don't know, you know, where you got it. Would you get it out of Georgia? Yeah, I used a company out of Georgia because just too busy to do it on my own. But they did a good job. Uh, but it was, yeah. you know, it was easy. Yeah. I mean, one, two, three had our authority, and. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, could go all 48 states. Cause I don't know. You had to do something special in California and Oregon with plates and stuff. I don't know. I didn't oh, take care of all that. Well, but back, back then, they, there was still the IFTA stickers and things like that. Oh, okay. Not anymore. But yeah, it was. It was just a, mm-hmm. kind of a one, two, three, bam. We had it. Yeah, but um, I mean, that's how easy it is. The the unfortunate thing, and if you listen to Dominic's story, he was working for a company. How they they didn't get him his authority, but they they pushed him into uh, you know signing uh, you know uh, an agreement. A tr- it, it was a it wasn't a truck lease. It was um, I forgot. It was something different. But anyway, he ended up paying all the expenses, and uh, some day some weeks he even owed money. I mean, so you tell me that you know. Um, the point you were making about freight rates that this doesn't affect them, especially if half the the drivers are employed out there. There's a lot of drivers out there. Well, 
That's well, what I maintain. You're now beginning to see the early cracks of this business destroying itself now. They can't stop this. They can't they can't solve the driver problem. They can't get the wages up. So and by the way, demand, industrial demand, retail demand, demand from the other side that we haul for continues to increase and now the truckload carriers they can't solve the parking. Let's go to the LTL carriers again. Do they have a parking problem? Nope. So they've solved that problem. Do they have a flexibility problem? Nope. Driver coming into Bozeman, Montana for ABF tonight, he's got to go over to the to the mine over there at Three Forks. they got a machine on. Well, the road driver comes in, dispatcher sends a city man over there. If that's a truckload carrier, they're screaming, well, I ran out of hours at Bozeman. I couldn't get to Three Forks. We need more flexibility. No, you don't. ABF didn't. So they don't have a parking problem. They don't have a flexibility problem. They don't have a recruiting problem. They don't have a retention problem. And most of all, they don't. They have excellent, excellent leadership. Not some hillbilly truck operation that got a little bit big. These are the LTL. This is why. This is why in the next six to eight years, what we call the LTL carriers will be the dominant force. The truckload, right? We talk about they got a parking problem. ABF doesn't have a parking problem. UPS doesn't have a parking problem. Uh, they don't have a flexibility problem. Remember, here comes ABF in a night. He's got a piece of machinery coming into Bozeman. It's got to go to Three Forks tonight. If that's Schneider or somebody else, they say, oh, we ran out of hours at Bozeman. We need more flexibility. No, you don't. You need to take it into a terminal. So they don't have, the LTLs don't have a flexibility problem. They don't have a parking problem. They don't have a recruiting problem. They don't have a retention problem. And you know one of the biggest things they don't, uh, their problem is they've got top, top professional business people. Not some, and I'm going to call myself here, not some overgrown hillbilly that turned five trucks into 500 trucks and doesn't know which end of the pencil has an eraser on it and is calling himself a trucking company. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Well, oh, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. <laughs> well, it's it's true. It's true. Well, I'm gonna I'm reiterate what Jerry said. I don't think I ever told y'all this. My dad, I call him a transportation family. I'm born and raised in New Orleans. My dad was one of the first African Americans to ever drive a streetcar in the city of New Orleans, and he drove bus. My brother's a bus driver. My, my uncles been in the in the logging business, in the freight business. And they come from the old regulated days. And I mm-hmm. sit down and I talk to my father. He's 84 years old. I sit down and I talk to him sometime. And he says, son, what is wrong with the transportation business now? The drivers don't stand up with each other. They don't talk to each other right. You know, because he still, you know, he gets his wife to came by the truck stop and he'll sit down and, you know, he like to, know what's going on, you know, old truck drivers, they do that. And he feels sorry for us out here, you know, and he said we can actually make a change ourselves, but we just refuse to work for so cheap. And the drive, a lot of the young guys out here just don't understand. What I mean by young guys, you can have some guys 75 years old just got in the trucking industry. They claim they got 30 well, years old. Well, Alan, what's the turnover months. rate for new drivers now? Do you, do, do you know? Yeah, that's uh, yeah. that's 
that's that's what I read too. And uh, I mean, so here's the deal: they get him in there to hold cheap, uh, and that's why there's all these lawsuits paying them what three, four hundred dollars a week. They get tired of it, they quit, and and then what? They claim a a, a driver shortage. Right. I mean, you're exactly <laughs> right. You're exactly it, it's right. crazy. Now, on this trim thing that FMCSA just done out in California, I think that we need to have, you know, when they take it to court, when California got to go into court, they need to subpoena and Farrell and say why they didn't have the powers back then. All of a sudden, he got the powers to preempt it now. That doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't understand what you're saying. What do you mean? I'm talking about the preemption of the of the meal and rest break. Oh, okay. Where Ray Martinez came in and, you know, ruled oh. in the ATA's favor. So okay. I would like to see them subpoena Ann Farrell and call her back because at the time she was the head of FMCSA. She said they didn't have the power. So how all of a sudden they have the power now? Well, she, no, she wasn't in then. It was, uh, was, was it in 2008? Was it her? Because the deputy signed off on that rejection. So I don't know who was in charge in 2008. It could it could have been her. I I can't remember now. Uh, Alan, you know who was in charge in uh, Was it LaHood? Was was he the the big guy? I don't know. No, it was. Um, I can't remember. I'd have to look it up. Yeah, I think you're losing your voice again, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> I knew you were quiet over there. A lot of people are unaware that I've been I've been sick since Gats in August. Yeah. I've only gotten better in the last couple of weeks, so about five and a half months of being being pretty sick, but I'm getting a little bit better here. But hey, our time's winding down anyway. I appreciate everybody calling in and the conversation and and uh, getting back on. Uh, this wage thing here, uh, these new court rulings, arbitration thrown out the window. Donna, even if I think if it makes it up to the Supreme Court, if ATA takes it that way, I still think it's going to be held. So this uh, this this all changes a, a lot of things. A lot of drivers still are stuck on, you know, well I make more than 116 a day. They're still missing the point. We're going to have to keep uh, keep pushing this a little bit. I think. They 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 just don't. They just don't um, understand that it's a minimum and not what you should be making. And everybody wants to say, "Oh, I make so much more than that." Well, you can't make if the median is forty-two thousand a year. Um, that's uh, you know based on how many days. I don't know, but three hundred. Yeah, I think based on three hundred forty hours a work week. And they're saying $21 an hour. It, in order to make $21 an hour, a driver would have to gross 100,000 a year. Yeah, that's yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah so we're gonna we'll we'll keep we'll we'll keep touching on it and everything. Time's running out here on me, but hey, uh, uh, Pat, Michael, uh, Jerry, again, always appreciate it. Other listeners on the phone, thanks 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 for tuning in and just kind of hanging with us this Saturday. I hope we kind of cleared some things out. I think we're going to have to continue on this issue, but. We'll uh, we'll keep you informed. Join us. Uh, join us on our Facebook at, at Ask the Trucker, Twitter at Ask the Trucker, and of course our blog at AskTheTrucker.com. Really appreciate it, and we will see you next time, right here on Ask the Trucker Live. Be safe.
You've been listening to Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith. On behalf of Alan and Donna Smith, AskTheTrucker.com, TruckingSocialMedia.com, NorthAmericanTruckingAlerts.com, Blog Talk Radio, and Ask the Trucker Live. I'm J. Michael Collins. Until next time, drive safe and thanks for listening. out a song here by fellow trucker Bill Weaver, Old School. All right, I hope you enjoy it. Everybody, we'll see you next time. Let's do it.